Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue with the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke to the people in His Sermon on the Mount. It's one verse, one sentence. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Pretty simple. But rather than glaze over it, there are things here that we as Christians need to understand. What exactly is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean to receive God's mercy? Now, this is the fifth beatitude, and as Pastor Jim will explain, the first four were attitudes between the individual and God. But beginning with this fifth one, Jesus begins to describe attitudes that God's people have toward other people. Are you merciful in the way that Jesus describes? Here's today's slice of the sermon entitled, Conduits of Mercy. Obviously, he doesn't literally mean 70 times 7, 490 times. He was using hyperbole. You just keep forgiving. So, remember, Jesus is expounding upon, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, Peter. So, let's dive into the parable, Matthew 18, verse 23. Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. A talent is a huge amount of money. It's actually an amount of weight. A talent of silver is is worth a fortune. A talent of gold is worth a multiplied fortune. This guy owed him 10 thousand talents. You couldn't possibly owe that much unless you had been embezzling or you were the government, and we won't go there. This guy had been unrighteous. He owes him something he could never repay. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. In other words, he was given a life sentence. You are going to become a slave now and Every bit of income that can be derived from everything you do will go toward this debt, and you can't work off that debt. It was, a, it was a life sentence. So verse 26. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Now, that was a tall tale. There's no way by any legitimate means he could have earned enough money in his lifetime to repay that. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. What's the difference between a denarius and a talent? A talent is a large weight of a large a weighty amount of gold or silver. A, a denarius is uh, the standard basic daily wage of a day laborer or or a soldier. The guy owed him a hundred days' wages. That's plenty, but 
it's not anywhere near 10,000 talents. And he, he seized him, his friend, and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Now, the difference between him and the first guy is this guy could have. You set up a payment plan, and if you owed 100 days' salary, you know, three, four months' worth of your income, you could do that. If you own a house, you probably owe a lot more than that by, by percentage. So, when his, um, uh, he says, I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that happened. Verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And there's, a, there's another Greek thing that's cool there. This is why we preachers have job security. It's something you can't get into the, the translation, and we can explain it to you. You can change the order of words in a Greek sentence to give greater emphasis. And, and the logical way that we would say it in English is, I forgave you all that debt. The way this guy said it was, all that debt. All that debt. That huge debt. All that debt. I forgave you because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? You see, receiving mercy in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, that should produce merciful people. Verses 34 and 35. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. In other words, it's a principle, it's a picture of eternal punishment because there's no way he could ever repay that. My heavenly Father, this is Jesus' punchline now, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. To which Peter must have had something like, oh, I think he got the point. The Lord's response to someone refusing mercy in spite or refusing to grant mercy in spite of the mercy and grace he's received, he was moved to anger. God is merciful by nature, and, and, he, and He loves to show mercy, but even if some of His mercy splatters on you, unless it changes you, you're going to miss out on His mercy in the most important sense of His forgiveness of your sins. Now, I want to take a few minutes and make sure that we don't just leave this as an adorable, pithy parable on the page. I want to make sure that real learning takes place in our hearts. Me telling you about one of the Beatitudes, it's a good thing, I trust, but it's irrelevant unless we let it penetrate our lives. The number one reason for 
humdrum, unexciting Christian lives, the number one reason for, generally speaking, a lack of spiritual growth in so many people who say that they love Jesus is the unwillingness to make the effort to change. Now, God does the work, right? Salvation is 100% of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. But then it's easy to fall into acting as if we expect God to somehow strike us with some kind of consuming passion to know Him better, but we aren't willing to do anything to start the process. He is also asking us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to mourn over our sins, to to, to work on being meek and gentle, to, to remind ourselves that we are beggarly poor. Can you think of one good thing that has ever happened to you in your life, one accomplishment that's done something really good that came with no work on your part? Have you ever heard anybody say, I was just going along and minding my own business, and all of a sudden, somebody gave me this PhD and made me the CEO of this multinational corporation? It doesn't work like that. That's not how you grow and get better. Do you really think that spiritual growth and spiritual vitality come automatically? without there being some kind of serious, disciplined, intentional, sustained effort on your part? It doesn't just happen in any other way. Last week, I, I closed with my little challenge to ask you in, when, in the category of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, are you willing to work on cultivating the appetite, the appetite, appetite, the appetite that's a cross between appetite and beatitude, That was the beatitude. Okay, now that I've ruined my whole train of thought. Are are you willing to work on cultivating the right kind of attitude to to increase the right kind of of hunger and thirst? I suggested a 30-day fast and feast. I'll remind you about it at the end of the service. Fast from the things that drag you down. Feast yourself on the things that build up your soul. It's not okay to let things slide because you just don't feel like pursuing them. Spiritual growth is not a matter of waiting until you feel the right feeling to move you forward. It's a matter of obeying your king, not waiting for a feeling. You always have feelings. Good feelings tend to come from cultivating the right things and doing the right things. Anybody who has sought to minister to other people will tell you how heartbreaking it is when you deal with somebody who's feeling spiritually lethargic. We all get there, right? I mean, if you're physically not up to par, it can drag you down emotionally and Even spiritually, if you're going through a really hard test of your faith, it can drag you down. 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.